This is Jerry D. Piano, and you are listening to the Love Mia Vita podcast. Today, our discussion is on relationships and relationship building. To start off with, uh, there is a proverb that I really love, and it is a Turkish proverb. A good companion shortens the long road. What does that really mean? How do we build these relationships and, and how do we find companions that are with us that can shorten our journey, that can help our journey, and that can certainly give us and shower us with the love and support that we need? Today's guests are Megan Koziel. Hello. And, and Arpy Hamilton. Hello. They're going to share their journey with us a little bit about uh, their backgrounds. So let's start with, um, we'll go alphabetically. So we'll start with Arpy Hamilton. Arpy, good afternoon. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Arpy, um, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, how you uh, how you ended up meeting Femme Pharma, but really tell us a little bit about your background. Um, well, I am um, I currently live in Phoenix, Arizona. I am married to my high school sweetheart. We just celebrated twenty five years together, and I have two children, um, Natalie and Logan. They are. Um, not living at home anymore. We are empty nesters now. So we are having the time of our lives. It's been so much fun. Um, I, like I said, I live in Phoenix and I work for uh, Cancer Treatment Centers of America, part of City of Hope now. Um, we were so excited about that partnership. And I have the pleasure of working um, as a senior specialist. I work with patients to provide them with supportive and educational resources um, that would benefit them throughout their journey. Um, we focus more on um, a lot of our program, provide support, give support. Um, we have a lot of mind-body programs to help patients um, through their cancer journey and even after into survivorship. Um, I was diagnosed myself with stage three triple negative breast cancer at the age of 38 years old. No family history whatsoever. And um, at the time I was working for Cancer Treatment Centers of America in Chicago. And so that was totally a God thing that he would have me um, in the right place at the right time. And so I treated in Chicago. I went through some pretty aggressive chemotherapy, uh, mastectomy, radiation. Um, shortly after I was then promoted to run our business services team here in Phoenix. So moved here. And just um, over time, I was coming out of treatment and moving into survivorship. And there's something that happens. Uh, survivorship is really difficult, almost harder than treatment, if you ask my opinion. Um, I wasn't prepared for it um, emotionally or physically. And something happens to where you need to find a purpose. You need there has to be a reason you survived this, right? What is my reason? I didn't feel working in business services and in the finance side of things that I was serving the patients to the capacity that um, God intended for me. And so um, I prayed and prayed and prayed and they approached me um, 
in February of 2020, right before the pandemic and said, we would love for you to come on board our growth team, work with our patients, develop this um, program. We already had the Cancer Fighters is who I work with. It's a, a team of patients and caregivers and family and friends. And um, the program had already been in place and been developed. However, um, nobody had been working on it in our area in Phoenix. And so they brought me on board and I still, every day I say, just pinch me because I can't believe that I get to do this for a living. That was wonderful to hear about your about the journey in just a few words and it obviously very powerful words about how you arrived where you've arrived and the irony of someone who started working with cancer survivors and thinking about the integration of care and you are one of you have the empathy that many others that work with you do not share and that's really a gift to the women, that women and men, but certainly to the women that you work with. And Megan Koziel, um, she sparkles. <laughs> <laughs> so the two of you are fantastic, by the way. And you uh, listeners cannot see these two, but you should check them out. Um, <laughs> they are just, they are dynamic in every possible way. But um, Megan, uh, share a little bit about yourself and your journey. All right. So I was initially diagnosed at 26. I found my tumor uh, when I was 25 and I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, I kind of, my diagnosis was insane because I was so young when I found my lump. Uh, I went to a bunch of different doctors and they basically just told me to massage it, put heat on it. It was nothing. And they didn't do any scans right away. So by the time that I was formally diagnosed, it had already spread to my lymph nodes. Um, so I ended up undergoing a bilateral mastectomy, tons of radiation. I can't even count how many surgeries and reconstructions I've had now. Um, so my journey was kind of rough, but we made it through. And in uh, exactly two years out of treatment, I was very motivated to enter into parenthood. And right when I was diagnosed, we, myself and my husband were engaged, planning our dream wedding. Of course, it always happens like this. And life says, no way, this fairy tale is not happening like this. And we kind of just had this little detour. So we ended up get, getting married in two weeks. Um, I had this absolute dream wedding. My family came together. They made everything possible. Um, and we got married. I ended up the very next day after my wedding, we had an egg retrieval done. Um, so as everyone was out eating breakfast in our hotel, we were rushing off to the fertility um, treatment preservation um, clinic. And then... Exactly two years after treatment, I went off my hormone blocking medication, made the decision to try for our first baby. And we had Kendra uh, in 2018. She's now three. And then as soon as she turned one, I was like, oh my gosh, I miss having a baby. And I went to my oncologist and I was like, can I try for one more? And she's like, I wouldn't, she's like the most amazing oncologist ever. I actually named Kendra after her. Um, but uh, she was basically like, listen, who am I to spoil your dreams? I will monitor you. There's, 
she went over the research. So we made the decision to try for baby number two. And Kenzie was born during the pandemic uh, in 2020. Um, so we have two little miracle girls and they're absolutely crazy. They're currently running around downstairs. So you might hear them during this. So I apologize ahead of time. Um, but exactly like Arpy said, Going through treatment, coming out of treatment, this is like the hardest part because now on top of being a mom, I am a survivor. So I try to forget about my past. But outside of being a mom, real quick, I'm an occupational therapist. Um, I'm supposed to be working part time, but I basically have a full time caseload working with kids. I work birth to three. So I go into their homes for early intervention and I absolutely love it. It's everything I ever wanted to do with my life and my dreams and my sort of my profession. So I'm just very happy that it's crazy because when I was diagnosed with cancer, I was working in a hospital. Um, I was still an occupational therapist, but it was very physical on my body. So it was kind of like the cancer gave me the stepping stone to get me to where I am today. And I absolutely love sharing my journey through social media. I had a blog. I haven't blogged in forever. I really need to get back to that. But life is just insane. So basically, if people want to know what's going on in my life, you have to follow me on Instagram. That's the only way you'll know. <laughs> so the two of you, life never, you don't skip a beat, which is really a testimony to your grit and your resilience, and let's face it, as we, we were chatting before, everyone is faced with some sort of a challenge. It's how you deal with that challenge that really makes the difference in your whether you are a survivor or whether you succumb, right? And But there are lots of supports along the way, or at least we hope there are supports along the way. Um, let's talk about what that meant to you because we often hear that after the after the diagnosis, whatever it is, could be psoriasis, it could be Sjogren's, could be breast cancer. What do you do after the treatment? How do you find the integration of care? What relationships do you build? And and I guess the first question, you know, for both of you is when you try to find practitioners that helped you through this. Who were they? I mean, were they coaches, therapists? I mean, were there were there folks, professionals or paraprofessionals that helped you through this? And if and if so, without naming names, um, who were they, and and what kind of support did they provide? Um, I for me, I was lucky because I um, I worked at CTCA, so that's where I chose to treat. Um, they offer an integrative care model, so. For me, everything was under one roof. I had a care team that was assigned to me. And through that, um, the point is to treat the person and the body, not just the cancer. And so um, you have access to acupuncture services, which is great for not just physical healing, but mental healing as well. You have access, um, at the time they had massage, um, rehab, physical therapy, uh, nutrition, naturopathic. Um, and so all these different ancillary services are, are um, integrated into your care. And so into survivorship, they once you're done with treatment, they move you into a survivorship program. And through that program is a um, mind and body therapist, also a sex therapist. And um, 
it's not offered to everybody. I think it's only offered to those, you know, um, that maybe their um, sex life would have been interrupted by a diagnosis. But I really think in general, anybody who's received um, any diagnosis really should go through some sort of sex therapy, um, whether you're single or not, because there's body image issues that take place. Um, and so that person in general, our therapist really changed a lot for my husband and I, because um, during treatment and even into survivorship, we were not sexually active for two years. That's a long time. See, the relationship with my blank was one of the best relationships ever established. Who would that be? My sex therapist. For sure, because she gave me back my sex life. I'll tell you what, even at 38 prior to diagnosis, I had already been premenopausal. So um, there were some things that had taken place earlier on in life to where I started to hit menopause at about, I was premenopausal at about 36. And um, so there was no sex drive. Um, we were um, intimate because that's just what you do when you're married. And, um, but there wasn't a lot of enjoyment. And I can tell you after cancer and then going through sex therapy, my husband and I are 43 and 46 and we have an amazing um, sex life. Um, <laughs> very young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, owe, I would say that I owe that to her. Really crazy. For me, it was completely different. I had no resources at all available to me. So back in 2015, when I was diagnosed, like I said, I was 26. And at that time in my life, I just, I was excited to be engaged. Like I never went to the doctor. I hardly, I think I just established a primary care physician. And then I had a gynecologist. That's all I ever had. And a dentist. <laughs> that's all I ever had as part of my care team. And that's all I really ever needed to worry about was if I got like a head cold to go to the PCP. So when I was diagnosed, um, we were kind of really thrown in literally overnight. I ended up having a whole care team of 10 people. Um, and my fertility physicians being one of those team members. Um, I remember getting my phone call when they told me that it was breast cancer. Um, and like, I just, I didn't even know. It was really, it's so crazy because I was so young and so naive. I remember the only thing I said was, so do I have to check myself into the hospital now? Like I had no idea because the only people that I ever knew to have cancer, like passed away, like they were older and, or they were really, really young pediatric cancers. And I like looking back now, I'm like, I'm so dumb, but I had no clue. I just had literally no clue. So overnight, like I said, I ended up having this whole care team, um, but not one of them ever addressed like my side effects to anything. Like they told me it would be beneficial for you to shave your hair before it starts falling out. And I was like, okay, but I didn't realize what they meant by that was it's going to be, you're going to get painful scalp if you don't shave your head it's going to hurt when you sleep at night oh and then when you do go to have sex with your husband um it's gonna be really uncomfortable because you feel like ed munster because you're bald as heck and like it's just horrible and nobody ever like i think that was the hardest part of my journey was nobody ever like told me what to expect in that realm so yeah you lose your hair yeah you puke yeah you feel like crap but like Nobody ever, ever told me the nitty gritty of like 
side effects. I think that's like the biggest thing. So I kind of went into this completely like just not knowing anything. I, I took it one step at a time. Um, so I would say that my us going to a fertility specialist was actually comical because we we started it, we're engaged, then we decide to get married. So it, I remember it was the most awkward time in my life. I remember. So we get married the night before. And then we go to have this egg retrieval done. And they're like, oh, now you're Megan Cozeal. And I'm like, that's just so weird to me because yesterday I was Megan Franz. And now like, we're like kind of making a baby in a Petri dish. It was so uncomfortable. He was 24. Okay. So I'm like, okay, like you got to go behind the door now. Like, obviously this took in, they took him like a couple days before, but it was so uncomfortable for him. He goes and like does his deed. And he's like, I just had to get it done. Like, cause we had to do this. And it was so uncomfortable. Cause, and he like, he, I could say this because he blogged about it on my blog, but he's like, I went into this room and it's so awkward. There's a tiny little window covered with paper. And like, obviously people know what you're doing in there. And he's like, there's a TV, which I didn't want to touch anything because it's disgusting. And there were like magazines. So that week, my sister, who's a model in LA, came out in Playboy. And he's like, I couldn't even think to look at these magazines because what if she was in there? And it was just like, we were thrown in the most uncomfortable situation ever. So anyway, we made it through the egg retrieval and it was it was kind of cool because uh, I would say that some, uh, one huge part of like that whole part of my story, my fertility preservation clinic was amazing and so I had my eggs retrieved. They actually took me back into the lab and like we saw them put the sperm under the microscope. So I saw like them swimming around, which was really cool. And they let me like take video because they knew that I was like blogging my journey. But on top of that, like that experience, once I was done with egg uh, preservation, it, they were like, all right, we'll see you in two years. <laughs> and nobody like, just nobody followed up with me so like I said my oncologist is amazing and she would always ask like um are are you experiencing vaginal dryness and like I said I was 26 and I was uncomfortable and I felt awkward and I'm like I don't think so I didn't even like know the difference I guess I don't know so like we're newly married like literally a week couldn't have sex on our wedding night so his best friend ended up staying in our like wedding suite because we were having the egg retrieval the next day. And if we had sex, that would like ruin everything. So it was just like back way back when it was just, it was insane. So my hospital did offer kind of like you said, sorry, I'm rambling. Um, my hospital did offer some complimentary services. I grew very close to my Reiki master who was at the hospital and that controlled a lot of my pain. But like I said, nobody addressed my sexual symptoms until post-survivorship and I met Femme Pharma. So I can truly say, and I'm not even saying that just because of this podcast, like no, I just never knew the difference until I found Femme Pharma. And we, we even didn't know the difference until we started using the products. And I am just like, I always say it, it changed my life because I would have never have known any different because nobody ever explained it to me. <laughs> so, so you, you mentioned, um, thank you for, thank you for that, Megan. Um, you mentioned the Reiki master. And so in terms of 
follow on so after treatment so during treatment obviously there there was the oncologist maybe there was a radiation oncologist um, but we often think about what happens afterwards, right? And I know that RP had mentioned that, you know, in CTCA, I'm putting in a plug for them, um, CTCA, they do offer complimentary services. And she was able to find someone that was her favorite person. It sounds like you did not find the ideal um, integrative medicine specialists. So we hear about naturopaths, we hear about folks that see sex therapists, sex counselors, but it sounds like the Reiki master was your favorite person. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that, that's something that we often hear. So it's uh, someone that can work on the pain, painful syndrome, um, pelvic PTs. Uh, we often hear good things about pelvic physical therapy and the way that it can help women, especially if they're suffering from really tightness in their pelvic region. And we know that, you know, stress can impact that in a very significant way, particularly as you're trying to get used to your bodies. And again, we're, this is something that we hear often from women in our community. So you tighten up, your brain starts to change because every time you're approached sexually, you experience that pain. And we know about the brain and how it changes in response to pain. So it's it's not surprising, but um, you know we we touched a little bit about intimate relationships, and in terms of intimate relationships, we think often about our, our partners. And you both, it it sounds like both of you have amazing partners. Maybe we can talk a little bit about, um, if you don't mind, the intimate relationships and and how how you built that or rebuilt that um, with your partner? Um, gosh, it was difficult. You go through this. Um, and I think, you know, even just in general, whether I had had surgery or chemo or radiation, um, I was different as a person. And so um, you're guarded. And I was concerned about the way I looked and, um, was I ugly? And he, you know, I'm not his wife. He doesn't look at me and he's not seeing the same body and I probably don't feel the same. And in his mind, what he's actually thinking is, this is my wife who I love so much. Um, sexually, it's not important right now. I just wanna save her life and I don't wanna hurt her. So where should I touch her so that I don't hurt her? Um, but then he's not touching me and I'm like, oh God, he's grossed out by it. And so really, it came down to communication and spending time together. And I, even now, um, I don't, it's been really hard for me to connect with my chest. <laughs> you know, after losing your breasts, I, I don't look in the mirror and see the same thing anymore. And so we spend time where I allow him to touch me and massage me so that I'm not afraid of what that touch feels like because it does feel different. It's numb. Um, we, it's been almost, you know, it's going to be four years now. Um, I too experienced some really severe vaginal dryness to the point where I could maybe have intercourse for five minutes, but then I couldn't be touched for the next two or three days because I was so dry that I, it was raw. And so, um, learning how to use me Evita and lubricate myself, um, 
has been a game changer. My husband and I, it's totally TMI, but we can be intimate for an hour, hour and a half together and really connect. Um, and not be, we don't have kids in the house anymore. So it's a totally different ball game now. And I'm just learning to connect with each other and where we are presently. And sex is different for us. Like I said, we've been, um, I've been with the same man for 28 years, right? Sleeping with the same man, everything. And Less. it's almost as if we're newlyweds again. <laughs> you know, it is, it's really given us, we're like newlyweds now. Oh, <laughs> my husband and I have been married for 36 years. Um, and, and even when I was in perimenopause and now I'm menopausal, um, I didn't think about killing him. I actually like him. It sounds like you like your husband too. That's good. <laughs> I, do. I do really like him, but sometimes I look at him. I'm like, I swear if you take another breath. <laughs> no, but I do like him. I guess I'd have to say the same thing. Like he's just an amazing guy. Cause if he was any other guy, it probably would have ended up completely different. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me was when I was bald, just like RP said, like you're so self-conscious and it's funny and communication was key for us. Um, but I also made boundaries and I think that's what helped. So he knows like, like RP said, like touching my chest is off limits to me. Like, I don't even tolerate massage, like just don't touch them. Cause like I can hardly touch them and they're uncomfortable. Like I have the girls who like jump on my chest all the time. And I'm like, Oh, it's just uncomfortable. Like, cause it's like a decreased sensation. Like I can't really feel it on top of like, Oh my God, my implants just are foreign. So like, just don't touch me there. <laughs> so like kind of using that as like this is my boundary he knows my boundary it's funny we bring this up because like last night the girls I don't even know what they were doing and my husband comes over and he like pops a feel on my boob and I'm like you know that you don't do that like <laughs> do not touch my chest but we're able to communicate that he knows he laughed about it I mean do I feel bad that like he can't touch my boobs I do but it's like on on top of that it just is uncomfortable for me now in the moment, if he wants to like cop a feel, you could cop a feel, but it doesn't do anything for me. And he is aware of that and knows that. Um, so we, that's like a boundary that we have. Um, I can say something else. And I believe that it was my oncologist who gave me a little bit of wisdom in this department. It might've been fertility. I can't remember because it was so long ago, but it was um, when you do start to feel like feeling insecure, being bald, to use like laundry and stuff to make you feel pretty. So I would never put my wig on like when we were about to get down because I'm like, oh my God, if it falls off, that would be even more traumatic. I'm like, that's just not happening. So I, I would buy, I bought like, um, like dress type lingerie that like covered what I wanted covered and it just made me feel more comfortable. So even still to this day, like I use that kind of as like, it makes me feel pretty. So like, I don't spend money on bras and things because I don't typically wear them because I have no nipples. So I'll wear lingerie to make me feel pretty. And like, it makes him like feel comfortable and like, oh, she looks so cute. Like he likes lingerie. So I'm like, okay, it works for both of us. And that's something that like we, we've used. And I think it strengthens our sort of relationship as well in that department because it makes us both feel comfortable and 
it's just fun. So turning, like finding something like that, that makes you feel comfortable, both of you comfortable using that communication, just like RP said, it's just so important because if you hide those things, I think that's when you come into the problems. And when you're not open with your partner about what doesn't feel good or what feels good and what hurts and what doesn't hurt, I just feel like it's just so important to communicate. And it sounds like you navigated through that independently because you didn't really work with a sex therapist or a counselor, right? I did. So I guess it was a lot of reading online, Googling, like you're not supposed to Google these things, but like finding blogs. And that was one of the reasons that I started blogging because everything that I was finding was for older women and they experienced things differently. Like at 26 being thrown into menopause, like I remember my very first hot flash. I think I told you this the other day. Um, I was with my mom and we were like going into a store and all of a sudden I got this hot flash, which I didn't know was a hot flash, but I said, oh my God, mom, I think I'm going to die. And I'm like, I literally thought I was like blacking out. I'm like, my, I got my upper lip sweat going on. I'm like, something is wrong. She's like, Megan, I think you're having a hot flash. And I'm like, oh, like no one told me that. I had no idea. So I kind of was just like thrown into it. So I wish I was recommended a sex therapist or, and uh, being an OT, I did actually have a friend who specialized in pelvic therapy but I just never thought I needed it maybe it was I was young and like didn't want to go through it but um it, it I I knew of it I should have jumped on it I just it was never recommended to me by my doctor and my care team so I guess that's why I didn't like elevate it to a need in my life um but like just like RP said once I started using the Mia Vita products it was like game changer I guess I didn't know that I even suffered from vaginal dryness until I used it. And I was like, oh my God, like sex isn't supposed to hurt or sex doesn't even have to hurt days later. Just like RP said, it's the yeah. same. Like, I, I just thought that was normal. <laughs> that self-sacrificing part of our lives just keeps rearing its ugly head, right? So you think, okay, well, you know, I'm married to this person or I'm in a, a monogamous relationship and, you know, there's an expectation of being intimate. And sometimes the self-sacrifice um, really comes down to, it's, not, it's, it's more than just self-sacrifice. It really, it hurts. And it, it doesn't, it shouldn't hurt. We, we need to experience pleasure. And if we're not experiencing pleasure, then we need to communicate. It sounds like you both have done a really great job of sharing that with your partners, whether it's touching your breasts or other parts of your body and, and explaining how you feel so that they don't feel so self-conscious if, they make a move, right? You said your, you know, your husband grabbed your breast and it's like, wait a minute, what were you thinking? You know, that's, you know, that's not the right territory. <laughs> and how sad is that? that like, the right territory. And it's also sad because like we're, I mean, I'm 33 and he's 32. So it's like, I, ha I have that expectation of him. Like, you know, to not touch my boobs. And like, I think we're on the same page. I brought it up before. So we are on the same page, but like, that's sad sacrifice for him too, because, and I've said to him before, like, do you miss like touching a girl's boobs? And he's like, I don't care about that. So I'm like, all right. I mean, I guess, but it is sad to think about because us young women, we're just like you said, there's that expectation. Um, so it's, it's just hard to deal with the sacrifices, but I'm alive. So I, we have to be thankful that like we're yeah. alive, we're together. We have these two beautiful little girls. 
So that's, I guess, another coping mechanism that I have is I, I turn the positive on things. So yes, our sex life is different, but like we enjoy the things that we can do and that can bring us pleasure. Oh, and intimacy is also more than just physical intimacy, as we all know. So intimacy is that forming that connection, that deep bond with the other person. And part of fortifying that deep bond is in what both of you just communicated, which is having that conversation and sharing, sharing those moments where you feel vulnerable and knowing that that person will be there on the long journey with you. Uh, what about family members? So parents, friends, everybody, you know, here's what they hear about your diagnosis and you, you know, are they there for you during treatment? What happens after treatment? Do they, are they different? Do they behave differently? And so I'd like to, I'd like to have some conversation about that. I, um, when I was diagnosed, I felt like I was like on a cloud and every single person I knew was underneath me, just holding me up. Um, they had t-shirts made and they had walks and they set up dinners. And my husband, I had six very close girlfriends and my husband set up a shared calendar with, cause they wanted to be involved. They wanted to be caregivers too. So they were at every chemo, they were at every appointment. The day I had surgery, there was like 30 people in the waiting room and um, my work had sent over Jimmy John's lunch for everybody in the waiting room. I mean, they'd been there all day. It was then, so I had a lot of support. I had a lot of support from my church. I, um, at the time, was leading a life group with nine other women. Um, so I had a ton of support there. And um, once it was all said and done, it was as if, um, they thought that I had reverted back to being a child. And so even though I'm now better, they still couldn't kind of let go. And so I was being handled with hit gloves constantly. And I used to get mad and fight with my girlfriends because I'd finally tell them, stop mothering me. I'm okay. I, I'm an adult. If I want a second glass of wine, I'm going to have a second glass of wine. But it'd be like, you shouldn't do that. You can't do that. You know how much sugar is in that. I mean, and they did it out of love and it was fabulous. Um, there were some relationships that didn't last. And Megan, I think you can relate that when you go through um, tragedy, right? It doesn't, it could be an auto accident. It could be the loss of a, a parent or the loss of a child. When you go through something that's um, physically traumatic, mentally traumatic, you change as a person. So there were things in relationships that I was no longer willing to tolerate um, you didn't call me back yesterday. We can't be friends. I mean, little things like that. Right. Um, so I started to pull back a little bit and unfortunately, um, I lost one of the most important relationships to me. That was my best friend. And, um, I moved to Arizona, be closer to her. She lives out here. Um, but as I started to, um, really get my footing into survivorship and not need the help of others. I had come out stronger and I was standing on my own. There were people in my life that still needed to be that priority to me, I guess. I'm trying to put it very kindly. Um, I, I just wasn't receiving the support that I needed from my very best friend. And so we don't speak anymore. We haven't spoken in a year and a half. Um, I can tell you that I trust 
in God that that relationship was for the time being. Um, she taught me a lot and, um, there are new relationships. I million percent agree. My story is so similar. Like you're dying. I know. I can't wait to chat with you. I know we were emailing a little bit, but (laughs) we have so much in common. Like insane. Um, you're diagnosed. Like you said, everyone comes together and they're all for you. They want to make shirts and they want to raise money and they, they want to check in and know every single thing that's happening. And that was one reason that I started my blog. Cause I was like, I can't even like do this, like letting everybody know what happens at every single appointment. It's just not possible. Um, and same exact thing. Like my, my surgeries, like friends would send pizza for my whole family who was in the the waiting room my friends would be at the hospital and like it, everyone was there and um and then when the journey goes into a year and two years and okay you're done and out of chemo and you're not like dying anymore so they're like okay well she's posting like a smiling face so she must be good like I'm not gonna check in she's on her okay anymore. she's okay um and that's like the terrible thing about social media and it's it's like a fault of my own too. Um, I use my coping mechanism to smile and just like, everything's good, but it's like not. (laughs) So um, just like you said, I had everyone there in the beginning, like my, my college friends. And now I'm six years out, seven years out. And like, I just don't talk to certain people. Um, But then again, and this is my coping mechanism, I always look at the positive, right? So I've learned because at first it really hurt me. And I'm like, well, like, why don't they like me? Why don't they invite me to things? Oh, it's because I'm bald. Like, these are the crazy things that I had in my mind. Oh, I wasn't in her wedding because I had to wear a wig. I don't know. So um, to me, like now looking back, or even like a couple years ago, I realized finally that it's not me. It's just that I'm a different person than I was back then. And like, maybe this person that I am now, they would have never been friends with. Um, I mean, it's sad too. like, even um, a very close family member to me. um, I'm not family members with anymore. I don't know. I've realized that if you're not going to be my friend, if you're, even if you're in my family and you're not going to be my friend, then why am I going to have you in my life? Um, I think that that thickness that I've sort of put on, um, has to do with what I went through. Like I realized that I cherish every single day. And if you're going to be a negative human being, you could just get out of my life. That's such a terrible thing to say, but like, I I just don't have time for it anymore. Um, so that's how I choose to live my life. I mean, people closest to me realize like, that's just Megan. She goes crazy and she goes off on people, but like, I truly feel like it's like what I went through. Like, I just don't have time for it anymore. So if you're not going to love me and be supportive of me and like partake in my life on a daily or not even on a daily, but partake in my life at all, I just don't have time for you. (laughs) You know, what's funny too, is I think, um, in that situation for a lot of people, and, and mine was just a little opposite, but mm-hmm. once um, it wears off, right, they go away, they scatter. And it's they like, do. You only wanted to, everybody wants to know the girl with cancer, right? Everybody wants to say, that's my friend, my friend has cancer. Um, for me, it was different in that my friends had such an end to my personal life. And we had gotten so close that um, they didn't know how to like let up. and. Um, I'm a pretty public person. I, um, I've been struggling with social media and that's a whole different, um, subject on its own. 
I've been taking a break because um, I have been very open and I'm very public and my journey is a part of my job. And um, then winning Mrs. Arizona and just having a public look into like who I was as a person, um, it's just hard, you know, it's hard to um, move past that sometimes. Now, almost five years out, you know, I'm um, defined by more than just cancer these days. And so, um, but everybody in my life knows what I do. And so because of that, it was easy um, for them to not scatter and run, right? Because it's a part of my everyday life. So if they're a part of my life, they're seeing it, they're hearing it, they're watching it. Um, and so it wasn't necessarily out of sight, out of mind, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I totally relate to something that you said, and I, I can't even imagine like doing the work that you do because like even me and like sharing what I do on, on social media, I've taken a step back too compared to what I used to share because I'm like, oh my gosh, like a family member will be like, oh, it's just Megan showing her boobs again. I'm like, that is not what I'm about here. Like, you I, I, I creeped on your Instagram and I saw your post and I'm telling you, no, I mean, somebody has to, right? Well, the there, thing like, is, I always said when I was diagnosed, if I can share my story and save one person's life from something they didn't know, but like I didn't know when I was 25 and found a lump, like I should have known for them to do a test. Like I worked in healthcare for God's sake. And like, I, that was my thing. Like I will share my, I was actually very anti my blog. My sister started it for me. Um, cause she blogged and she does lots of things. So, um, she actually started it for me and I, the first couple blogs are not even from me. Like it's from them, my family. And then it really mm -hmm. opens me up to like sharing my life. And it was when people started reaching out to me that they were like, wow, I didn't know that. Or wow, like I just need to talk to someone and I, I gained the, this support, but I totally get it. It's overwhelming. I, and now that I have the kids, I'm just busy. And if I'm not on social media, say for a couple of days, people think something terrible happened to me because I share so much, but it's like, that's my, also my way. Like people don't really know who I am. And I guess that's like that thing with social media. Like I try to be real and I do post like things that are real. But like, ultimately, they're only seeing like a whole five minutes of my day. Like, I think you guys saw before this call, really what goes down in the life of Megan. Like I'm balancing <laughs> a phone and a banana and I'm cooking mac and cheese and I'm setting up a craft. Like I literally, I'm just this multitasker. And I think cancer played a huge role in that because I was always multitasking. I, I, I would say like college-wise Megan and whatnot. But I, I feel like I had to really do that once I was diagnosed because I was fighting for my life I was fighting for like literally living I was fighting for my life with my husband I was fighting to like keep things normal with my parents and my sisters as they were coming to chemo with me um I was fighting to not feel awkward when my husband's friends were in and I love them to death for being there with me and I'd want them there but like okay I just got my boobs chopped off and you're like in my room with me without a shirt on I mean it is what it is right that's just life but there's just all these things that cancer like puts these awkward moments in your life and you either have to just laugh or you're gonna literally fall into a hole it's funny because I like as I was saying I was creeping on your Instagram and um 
Jerry, you had said in the beginning, you know, some people go through their journey and they want to move on and that's fine. And um, they don't need support afterwards. They don't have a lot of questions and they're fine. They want to put it past them and move on, right? Never talk about it again. And I know people like that. Um, however, and this is part of my job is to give patients a platform to share their story because there are some of us, me included, who are very open not private at all because I don't have shame. Like I'm not ashamed of everything. To me, everything is a learning opportunity. Um, my favorite quote is grow through what you go through. And um, I have grown so much. Love and that. so I think that um, I entered a place into my journey where I didn't want what I went through to be in vain. That, that's why individuals like the two of you. Yeah. Megan and Arby, that's why you are so valuable, why your purpose is so important, because yeah. we, we all crave that authenticity. We don't share it. You know, we, we well, and we have to speak about it, but it's not we have to talk. Yes. How will they, how will we know? How will we, um, how will we learn? Right. We, as women, everybody wants to say that talking about sex and um, intimacy, post-menopause, um, or even just menopause in general, so everything's so taboo. But um, if there aren't women like us that are willing to share those um, intimate details, then there's other women like you, Megan, who don't know that vaginal dryness is a thing and that sex shouldn't hurt. It's not supposed to be painful. Um, so I think giving a voice to even those things, like let's speak up about it, let's talk about it because there are others that are coming after us that have yet to be diagnosed that are gonna face this very same thing. And I have to say, oh, can I just real quick? I have to say, I have to jump on this because I remember when um, I was presented with Fem Pharma and just like trying the products in general, I remember like feeling like shame, like, ew, like now if I try these products, I'm gonna have to share this part of me. And I'm so happy I did because I can't even tell you how many people reached out to me, not even in the cancer world, like regular women who were like, well, I deal with that too. And then the mm -hmm. statistics that are all over the, your website, I'm like, dang, like, why is it so taboo for us to say like sex hurts or like we're uncomfortable in this area and to like get the help we need. It's so frustrating. Why? But if, just frustrating so I'm so happy that you guys have this like learning platform and like you're there because unlike RP like I didn't have those resources and I had to find them on my own the universe had to bring them to me but it, I mean I, it can't I can't be the only one you know what I mean and I live in a big city I live in Pittsburgh like why aren't these resources available like that's just so sad it's still it's still somewhat of a taboo topic, and we we you know we hear this um, from women, for example, who have endometriosis um, because they have, and and the diagnosis happens really late, so ten years to diagnosis sometimes, and these women are suffering. They have they have pain most of the time. They have pelvic pain. They're taught to live with it. They end up at a point where you know they're offered hysterectomy as a final resolution. That's after um, putting in, in chemical menopause. And, and, and they don't know that it's not normal to feel this way, that it's not normal for them to, you know, to have the dryness, to have the pain, to have, 
you know, these, um, these months where they literally feel like they cannot get out of bed because they just are in agony, curled up in a ball or they're nauseous or they're bloated. So it's, it, it's, you know, it's pretty, it, it can be pretty consistent, but I, but to be more uplifting, because you want to talk about how the relationships are built, you're building a relationship with, with women that you don't know. And I think you raised a really good point, which is you're building a relationship. It sometimes is a superficial relationship. And I think you're taking, but you are taking it. You're both taking it to a different level. You're by being authentic and by being intimate, by sharing the most intimate parts of your life, you are helping other women to feel like they are really not alone. It's, it's very cliche to say you are not alone. It's another thing to live that purpose, to walk that walk, right? And, and to share what each of you has shared. So I, I could not be more proud of the work that you are doing for your mission to help other women. It's, it really is powerful. And it, it is about the long journey, right? So we started the podcast uh, with the quote, with that Turkish proverb, our conversation, which is relationship building, the foundation of which is a good companion shortens the longest road. So whether you know these women who are out there listening to the podcast, whether they're your friends or family members, you are, the, you are their companion. You have helped to shorten that. So it's a re very reciprocal relationship. But I just applaud both of you for doing what you do every single day, yeah. sharing, sharing parts of your life that most women and men wouldn't share. <laughs> you are indeed doing good work and if you believe in spirituality, whether it's God or some other higher being, you are doing that good work. Yeah. Like you guys have changed my life. Like the good parts in my life are because of me, Avita. So now you, you, you're going to make me mentioned. cry now. What? You, make, you will make me cry because I, 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 I'm so truthful. It I'm was so truthful when I say, I even go to my oncologist. I, I got a new oncologist. My amazing oncologist retired. And I went to her and I'm like, listen, you need to let everybody know about these products because, and she's like, wait, I just, I've never heard of it. I'm like, well, you better learn because life-changing. Like I can't even like life-changing. And it's funny because when I first started using the products, I was like, I'm not even going to tell my husband. I'm just going to try them and see. And TMI. He, he did go to say, that was the best sex I ever had. I'm like, dude, it's me, Avita. Girl. <laughs> and he's like, we have a joke. I knew you did something different. It's we always, have a joke in our house. I'll say it offline though. It's always, um, so, you know, it's like, you don't, you don't start these sorts of businesses. Um, it's been a 20 year journey the clinical yeah. clinical side of our sister our sister company is still in existence. We, you know, you don't do this um, because you don't care. It's you know you want to make you want to make a difference one woman at a time. You just made my day, my year. My it's a mission, well, Jerry. Life, so, <laughs> thank you. Right, it's your mission. Thank you. It is. It's it. It is his purpose for me. It's beautiful to do something that yeah. would make some woman happy maybe make a small difference 
So major difference. Thank you. Big difference. So thank you. <laughs> so any parting words if so the, the question is what are the one or two things? So you know for me when you're going going through treatment um, or going through some sort of um, event in your life where you're um, needing assistance from other people, both um, medically, emotionally, physically, um, you're very vulnerable. It's a very vulnerable state to be in, to need assistance from somebody else. And so my advice would be um, let those people, even if they're not close to you, right? Like we had distant church friends that wanted to help, let them help because it gives them a purpose. Even if you're not that close to them and you don't know what their motive is and why they wanna help, it, there's a purpose to them and there's a mission to them to give back, so let them serve. Um, also, to me, like I said, um, and to you, Megan, earlier on, you go through something where you don't want what you went through to be in vain. And so now as I move forward and I create relationships with others who are in need, um, it's easy to, um, losing my train of thought, but it's, it's really easy to connect with them on a different level when you've, um, been through something, right? So, um, building those relationships that you have through treatment and then into survivorship and after they, um, they're valuable, you know, they're important. Um, for parting words, I think that we just have to encourage people to share their story. And not only, I'm not talking social media, share your story. I'm talking about in relationships. I mean, whether it be with your significant other, whether it be with a best friend, letting them know sort of how you feel is so important. And I think that cancer aside, it is the building block to who we become and who we're meant to be. So don't be ashamed if, if you've changed from that, that girl or that man way back when you're a new and better you and just embrace life. Wonderful, wonderful parting words from both of you. Uh, so you're fantastic in every possible way. And I know our listeners can't see you. Um, so we have, um, we're doing the juggle here with Megan Koziel and her two kids. This is, this is real life. This is what goes on. This is what women do every single day. They do it all. And with R.B. Hamilton, who has some older children, but uh, still does the juggle every day, um, we want to thank you both for being wonderful guests on the Love Mia Vita podcast. And you truly exemplify what it means to love Mia Vita. Thank you once again and blessings to both of you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, Jerry. 